0: Ella Kate Marici, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Morici, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They are authors,
1: therapists, and most importantly, mommies, and man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to More Than Childs Play. This is your host, Nicole Surgent. I'm here with my friend and colleague Lacey Marisi. Today we're going to bring you the second episode in a series of podcasts we're doing, um, centering around roadblocks to natural development. So we're talking about things that get in the way, maybe undetected medical things or prolonged or um, just changes to the environment, things in the environment that may affect a baby's development um, where without it, they would otherwise develop typically. We're doing this as part of a course that we are relaunching with updated research information for MedBridge education. So if you're a therapist and you're following us or a medical provider, that will be coming out in the next few months. And we'll be happy to share that With you. Before we get started, um, you should know that we are affiliates with MedBridge Education, and there is access to a year's worth of continuing education courses at a pretty steep discount. It's $175 off their annual subscription, including their home exercise program builder on our website. So be sure to check that out. So last week, we shared with you roadblock number one, which was what happens when a baby doesn't have adequate time on their tummy or spends extra time in what we like to call baby containers, seats, swings, saucers. And so if you haven't checked that out yet, be sure to go back and look at that. Um, Lacey interviewed me for that one last week, and today we are switching roles, and I am interviewing her for our second roadblock, which centers around babies and sucking, primarily um, questions that deal with how long infants should use bottles and pacifiers. So um, if you are new to our podcast, I'm a physical therapist and Lacey is a speech language pathologist and speech language pathologists often um, educate and help families come up with strategies that deal with um, these sort of issues, bottles, binkies, sucking, and the changes that happen in the mouth. So we're going to dive into that today.
0: Hi, Lace. Hi. Hi, everyone. So, yes. So, this second roadblock we're talking about today is what we've coined prolonged sucking. And by that, we just mean sometimes we allow babies uh, and toddlers to drink from a bottle a little bit longer than recommended or a good bit longer than recommended, or we allow them to hold on to that pacifier past the recommended age. And we do see effects from that. So, but before we get into that, um, I want to just talk to you about you know, why babies suck when we see that sucking reflex develop and we see it as early as 32 weeks gestation. And oftentimes, um, not me, but I've had friends that they'll have an ultrasound and, and in the ultrasound picture, the baby will be sucking on their thumb. So oftentimes, you know, babies start sucking when they're still inside, um, the womb. And again, the earliest we see that sucking reflex develop is 32 weeks. Um, If a baby is born before 32 weeks gestation, gestation, then they often um, will see a speech language pathologist while they're spending time in the hospital to develop that sucking reflex. But babies um, have that sucking reflex so that they can get nutrition, right? Whether it's from the breast or the bottle, um, they have to be able to suck to be able to to, um, grow and develop and get that nutrition inside of their little bodies. So, and when a baby drinks from a bottle or the breast, the tongue tip is depressed. The, the nipple depresses the tongue tip down, but the tongue, moves anterior to posterior in motion. And that's how it propels or pulls that liquid from either the breast or the nipple of the bottle. Um, and then also babies have a non-nutritive suck. So oftentimes they will want to suck to comfort themselves. So we might give them a pacifier to do that in moments when they need to to fall asleep or to, to be soothed. Um, it allows them to self-soothe at a young age or we will see babies that will you know, find their thumb or their fingers and um, provide that self-soothing by sucking on the thumb or fingers or what we sometimes recall to, um, refer to as digit sucking, which just means they're sucking on their thumb or their fingers. And we know that this non-nutritive sucking is good um, for babies. The research is showing correlation in a reduction of SIDS for babies that use a pacifier or suck on their fingers or thumbs. Um, So oftentimes physicians, you know, will encourage the use of a pacifier for that reason. Um, Because again, the research is showing us, the research isn't clear. We're not sure why we're seeing that reduction of SIDS. There's a couple things, a couple reasons out there. Um, But again, we just know that it does reduce it. So oftentimes, again, the physician will recommend a pacifier if the child isn't sucking on thumb or finger already.
1: Very interesting. Yes. Can you tell us, um, so a couple questions about that whether, no matter whether the baby comes early or the baby comes on time, we know that it's very natural for them to know how to suck automatically. Um, in most cases, how long should they be drinking from a bottle or using a pacifier? Because I feel like in a busy well visit that isn't always addressed or, I mean, a lot of times parents don't even think to ask that question. I don't know
0: that I did. Right. Right, and I agree. I, I I agree with that. You're right. Oftentimes, the the major concern of the physician or the pediatrician is is the baby growing. Are they getting enough nutrition? You know, it's not how they're getting the nutrition. It's more if they're getting enough in. If they're on the growth chart. If if they're keeping up with you know the the growth curve and staying healthy. So, yeah. And I don't think parents think to ask that either. I think oftentimes they're just kind of looking to their family members to give guidance or their, their circle of mom friends to give guidance and kind of following other people's lead, not necessarily asking again, the pediatrician for advice. So recommended age to wean from the bottle is 12 months. Um, the pacifier, physicians will recommend weaning from it in the second six months of life. So, um, and and there is some variation uh, between what physicians recommend and pediatric dentists. For the pacifier, pediatric dentists recommend um, weaning from the pacifier, not until after age three. So that's really different than what maybe your pediatrician will tell you. And I know a lot of speech language pathologists that would also recommend starting to wean from the pacifier in the second six months of life. So again, between six months of age and 12 months. Personally, I didn't take my kids pacifiers until they were between 15 months and 18 months. But up until that point, I had cut them back to only using it at nap and bedtime and that comes into play too. When we talk about pacifier use, it, it has to do with um, frequency and duration. So, you know, if we're talking about a child that's 12 months old and has the pacifier in their mouth all day long, then we really want to start getting them weaned because it's, it's, you know, impacting more because it's in there so much. So, yeah, it, it can vary a little bit, you know, what you might get, what recommendations you might get from different um, professionals But as a rule of thumb, we would say wean from the bottle at 12 months of age, wean from the pacifier between 6 and 12 months of age is what's best.
1: Do you know why, I don't know this and I don't know if you know, but do you know why the discrepancy between typically when the majority of pediatricians recommend and when dentists recommend?
0: Well, clearly dentists are just considering the changes to the dentition. And the research shows that up until age three, any change that's done in the mouth regarding placement of teeth or overbite or malocclusion or posterior crossbite, all of that will, the research says that it will spontaneously correct itself if the pacifier is taken by age three. So that's why they're recommending that. Speech language pathologists in the field of oral facial myology, which is new-ish topic in our field, we're finding that pacifier usage, again, if considering frequency and duration, so if we have a kid who's sucking on a pacifier all day long, it actually can start to change The shape of their face and it affects the growth of their palate depending on what type of pacifier they use. So, we're, you know, again, speech language pathologists are recommending taking it for different reasons than maybe the dentist is. Physicians often will recommend taking it in the second six months of life because it reduces the risk of otitis media or ear infections because of the bacteria that is in the germs that are on the pacifier, that just increases the risk for infection in general in the child. And then also when the child is sucking on the pacifier, the nasopharynx is open and the passage of secretions between the throat and and the middle ear is more likely to happen, increasing that chance for ear infections to develop. So again, every professional community field has different reasons. Um, I always talk to parents too, about the emotional attachment to the bottle or the binky. I feel like if you wait much longer past 12 months, and again, I waited past 12 months, but I'm saying from experience, that emotional attachment starts to happen up until six months, 12 months, baby again is using that to self-soothe and calm, but by 12 months, they should maybe have another way to calm themselves besides the pacifier or bottle. And certainly by 12 months, they're getting nutrition in other ways besides the bottle. So, you know, weaning from the bottle for nutritional reasons should be okay by 12 months. But if we wait again, 15 months, 18 months, 24 months beyond that pacifier, typically by then there's such a strong emotional attachment to it it's really, it becomes harder and harder. And oftentimes parents will, you know, oh, they'll give it up when they're ready. Oh, I don't meet too many toddlers that willingly give up their pacifier. It's kind of one of those moments where you have to empower the parent to be the parent and to step up and just, you know, take it away and kind of deal with it. it you know, it's not too bad. Usually, but yeah. it can be hard at first and I understand that. But but there's things and we can talk about later kind of yeah. some strategies to help with that.
1: So you've touched on a little bit I, I asked questions to kind of get us ahead here of um, what happens if a baby uses a, a binky or a bottle too long. And you touched on that a little bit um, nicely by sharing why each of the professions under their own umbrella um, want to remove it. Everything from ear infections to dental changes um, to changes in the mouth to social emotional development and attachment. but Is there anything else we didn't talk about that happens if a baby uses a pacifier or a bottle too long?
0: Yeah. So again, back to kind of the pediatric dentist, why they're recommending, um, So I talked about malocclusion, which that just is malalignment of the teeth. So the teeth aren't lining up as they should. Posterior crossbite, the teeth are actually crossing over in the molar area in the back of the mouth or overbite. So that's, you know, when the front teeth are protruding forward too far. All of those um, complications can be a result of sucking on a bottle or a pacifier longer than the recommended age. As far as um, sippy cup and bottle access, we haven't touched on sippy cups yet. But you know, dentists become concerned with cavities. If we allow a child to carry around a bottle or a sippy cup that has something other than water in it all day long, then that you know liquid is just sitting on their on their teeth all day without being brushed, possibly. So that can increase um, the chances of developing cavities in in a to- infant or toddler's mouth. And um, and then something else interesting. There was a study that was done um, back in 2012. So it's a little bit older, but it was done by Sarah Kime and colleagues and they did a retrospective analysis of data that was collected between 1991 and 2010. And they were looking at um, ER visits of children younger than three years of age and what sent those little ones to the ER. And they found that 65% of those ER visits were because children had fallen with a bottle in their mouth. 19% of those ER visits were because they had fallen with a pacifier in their mouth. And 14% of those visits were because they had fallen and had a sippy cup in their mouth when they'd fallen in. And again, all of those caused some kind of injury to the mouth. Um, So that's another thing that, you know, dentists and pediatricians and SLPs that work in feeding and OTs also, you know, it's an interesting point to bring up to parents. If we allow all day access, binkies in the mouth all day, sippy cup, bottle, whatever. You know, toddlers are just learning to walk, right, Nicole? And yep. they aren't so balanced all the time. Accidents yep. happen, but um, they're finding that a lot of those ER visits from little ones younger than three, again, are resulting in injuries to their mouth because of the pacifier or the bottle that's, or the. That's situation. interesting. But something else I want to mention, you know, if you go to the pacifier aisle, and it is nearly a whole aisle in Target or Walmart or whatever baby superstore you're heading to, there are a lot of choices of pacifiers. And I have spoken to a few pediatric dentists to get their input on this. Does it matter the size? You know, the pacifiers will come zero to three months, newborn size, you know, 12-month size, 18-month size that's all a marketing scheme as, as far as what I've been able to research. And again, the advice that I've received from pediatric dentists, it doesn't matter the size of the pacifier. Another interesting thing that is a marketing ploy is some pacifiers are touted as orthodontic pacifiers, which implies that they're not going to impact your child's um, teeth or mouth in the same way that, a non-orthodontic pacifier might. And there's no research that supports those claims either. So it's really frustrating as a professional in the field, you know, that that these marketing, you know, giants are able to convince these parents that they need to spend more money on pacifiers every three to six months to get the right size for their child when there's no research that backs that up that says it's helpful or, you know, helpful for the child to do that. So I just wanted to throw that out there.
1: Yeah. I think that's important to know because I've worked with families before who, when we're discussing the binky, they almost will be like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm such a bad parent. They're still on the zero to three month binky. And I've shared that just from talking to you, you know, that There's no shame in that. You don't have no. to spend more money on a different pacifier exactly it's because they turned six months old. Um, yeah,
0: exactly. Now, when it comes to bottle nipples, it is a little bit different because the, the sizes and the age ranges associated with bottle nipples have to do with flow rate. So certainly it's not going to be harmful to your six month old if they still are using a newborn nipple. It's probably just going to take you longer to feed them. So okay. that's, you know, the only difference that I'm aware of with bottle nipple sizes. Um, again, it's not harmful, but it just, it, it might be easier and quicker to feed the baby if they had a nipple that had a little higher flow rate, you know, to it. Um, so another impact of prolonged sucking of bottles, sippy cups, pacifiers is on orofacial development um, and structures within the mouth. So when a child has a bottle nipple or a pacifier or a sippy cup, which I'll touch on in a little bit here, when they have those things in their mouth, their tongue tip is restricted, right? It's held down to the floor of their mouth. And that doesn't allow their tongue tip to elevate. And as a child, we recommend weaning from these things around 12 months because we want that tongue tip to start elevating. Um, tongue, Tongue tip elevation is needed for a mature, a more mature swallow a more mature movement of the tongue to propel food back um, other other food, you know, things other than just liquid. So we need that tongue tip to get up there to the alveolar ridge, which is the, the space on your hard palate, right? But behind your front teeth. Because again, it will then propel food to the back of the mouth to be able to swallow more effectively. And then also as a child develops speech, that tongue tip needs to be lifting and and had that that practice of lifting to that alveolar ridge to produce sounds like T, D, N, L. Um, So that's one reason, again, why we recommend getting getting the sippy pacifier or bottle away from the child by 12 months. So that tongue tip can start doing its job and getting that exercise and practice in for those skills. Very interesting. Yes. And two, when the tongue is, is down on the floor of the mouth or held down on the floor of the mouth by the pacifier, sippy cup, or bottle, sometimes over, if it occurs over, you know, again, past 12 months up to two, three, four years, we sometimes can see change in the orofacial structure. Um, The jaw, the lower jaw will kind of hang open, which then sometimes contributes to mouth breathing. Um, The the, sometimes the, the facial bones can elongate and the child will have a longer look to their face than other children who maybe didn't have the pacifier sippy or bottle as long. But again, we revisit that topic of frequency and duration. You know, I'm not talking about the, the two-year-old that just gets the pacifier at bedtime. I'm talking about the two-year-old that has the pacifier in their mouth all the time. So, but again, we're finding with more research and, and consideration of these things that there is impact and it can be an impact that, that affects the child, you know, for many years after, um, they started using that pacifier. Also when a child has a sippy cup or a bottle that has milk or some other calorie dense liquid in it, that impacts their appetite. So then they don't want to eat, you know, table food or meals as much. So that can, um, definitely have a negative impact on them. And the last thing I want to say is, Oftentimes people become concerned if a child has a pacifier in their mouth, especially with the pacifier. If the pacifier is in the mouth all the time, will they not talk as much? There's no research that supports that. Anecdotally, as an SLP in the field of EI, I will tell you when a child has a pacifier in their mouth, they will talk around it, but it definitely impacts their intelligibility, meaning I have a hard time understanding them. So I will ask them to take it out. Um, But again, there's no research that says having that that pacifier or sippy cup or bottle in their mouth all the time is going to delay them from developing speech and language. So, so nothing there yet in the field to suggest that. So we don't have to worry about that quite as much.
1: One more quick question that I, that I thought of, we talked about what happens to the palate and to the teeth with prolonged use of, um, hard plastic in the bottle, the pacifier, the sippy cup. Do you know anything about prolonged breastfeeding? Because I know, and it's, you know, my kids are older, so things change, but, um, I was, I was, I was educated to try to nurse them until a year if, if possible. And I had the supply and, and I wanted to, you know, there's always choice. And of course we respect that for Mm -hmm. lots of families and what works for them, mom and baby, but are there any um, negative effects to the palate that you know of, or to the mouth, from nursing for for longer than that 12 month mark?
0: There's nothing that I have come across. I I have to believe that because the the breast, the nipple, is molds naturally to the shape of the baby's mouth and is pliable, for lack yeah. of a better word. I feel like more pliable yeah, the as, longer you breastfeed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The more children you breastfeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to believe that there is less impact on the baby's mouth because it can change in form. Um, so easily versus a stiff bottle nipple that doesn't change very easily. Um, again, I don't know of any research. If anyone out there listening knows of anything, please send it yeah. our way. I'd love to um, look It'd at that. Interesting. Yeah.
1: To know if that makes a difference.
0: Yeah. Yes. It so let's
1: talk a minute about weaning because I feel like this is one of the most important parts of this podcast. I know that as a parent myself who had two children um, very close together in age, weaning was stressful and hard um and i know from patients some that i have right now um, and certainly through the years um at parents once they're empowered to know the age to do it they've come across either a therapist or the pediatrician or the dentist and they say okay we have to do this and it can be tough right because it's a big change to the routine and something the child's done from day one so Anything you know of or anything um, that you've learned that helps for weaning?
0: Yeah. So um, first I want to say, you know, we can introduce straw and open cups early in infancy, late infancy. An open cup can be introduced as young as young as six months. Um, certainly that's when they're supported in a high chair with assistance from a caregiver. Straw cup, babies can drink from a straw cup as early as nine months. We have to let parents know that these are possibilities so they can introduce these sooner because, you know, the longer we go with only giving access to that bottle, then the harder it is to transition. So, um, straw cup, sippy cup, or straw cup, open cup sooner than later and sippy cup. Yeah. Let's talk about the sippy cup because yeah. I I've,
1: I've learned this from you and people will say and I you know I'm a physical therapist but I am not a speech language pathologist and I said what age do I introduce the sippy cup what what right. do you say when people say oh my baby 6 months is it time to meet that milestone of the sippy cup and, <laughs> yeah. and what's your answer to that I know
0: what it is but tell me yes them. yes <laughs> so the sippy cup shockingly is not a milestone it's not a developmental milestone the position of the mouth that the, the position of the baby's mouth when they drink from a sippy cup is no different than when they drink from a bottle. If you think about it, as, you know, especially hard-spouted sippy cups, so that's the hard plastic sippy cups that are very popular that are leak-proof and parents love for that reason, myself included, they just depress the tongue tip like a bottle nipple does and it's really no different. So there's no developmental milestone. There's no change in the way that a baby drinks from a sippy cup that's any more developmentally progressed or appropriate than so the, the
1: mouth original. is doing the same thing with those yeah. kinds of sippy cups as it is with a bottle. Yes. The mouth the muscles of the mouth are not more mature in their behavior when they're using yeah. a sippy cup.
0: No, the tongue is doing the same thing. So You know, some speech language pathologists will will just encourage parents to skip the sippy cup again back to how early we can introduce open cup and straw cup just do those instead, however, I think we all if, especially if you're a parent you recognize that need for a spill proof cup at times.
1: So again,
0: talking about frequency and duration, if you're only allowing your child to have that sippy cup, when you absolutely need them to, for that reason of travel or no spill, then it's okay. You know, still expose them to open cup and straw cup, and it'll be, it'll be just fine. But the sippy cup can be skipped over altogether. It does. It again, it has no purpose in the developmental trajectory of of, of feeding and, and swallowing skills. So, um, so I got us a little off
1: track. This is all, this is all super important, but your number one strategy so far for weaning is to consider really limiting a sippy cup and going open cup or straw cup to decrease the incidence of sucking from the beginning. So we're not having to take away so much sucking because they're just not doing it as much.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Getting that straw cup or that open cup, giving the baby access to them as soon as possible so they can start developing those other skills. Um, so then, yes, the only way of receiving nutrition or, you know, drinking liquids isn't just from the bottle or sippy. Yes, that okay. that's my first strategy um, is just being aware, letting families know how soon they can introduce that straw or open cup. So- I would encourage families to talk to their pediatrician, talk to their dentist. You know, now we recommend babies see a dentist as soon as those first teeth erupt. So ask your dentist. Um, Even if they're not a pediatric dentist, they should know the recommendations for weaning uh, age-wise and maybe have some tips for you. So talk to them. Um, As far as the pacifier goes, again, just I recommend getting it, you know, taking it from the child before that social emotional attachment happens. But I also recommend to parents if your child has a pacifier, and it is their only comfort item introduce a second comfort item as soon as possible. And even if baby doesn't want that that blankie with them when they're falling asleep, go ahead and really try to encourage it so that when the pacifier is taken away, they already have a second established comfort item to kind of take the place of that pacifier. There is a pacifier weaning system on the market right now. I believe it's manufactured by Frida Baby. Um, It was actually um, created by uh, a... an acquaintance of mine, a a friend of Nicole's and we're uh, very proud of her. Um, Yes. By the way, she's a pediatric dentist
1: in Pittsburgh. um, Dr. D'Alessio. And um, we're very proud of her, but go ahead talk about that pacifier weaning system. What does that mean? What does that look like?
0: Yes. So unfortunately it wasn't around when Nicole and I's kids were little or I could have used it. Yes, for sure. (laughs) But the idea behind it is, um, you know, you you want the child to lose interest in sucking on the pacifier. And if, if the pacifier nipple is changed in some way that it doesn't allow them to latch onto it in the same way that they always have, then they will lose interest. Some parents will cut the nipple of the pacifier, which is not recommended. And the reason that is not recommended is because it poses a choking hazard, When I talked to Dr. D'Alessio, when she created this product a few years back, she told me that when pacifiers are made and go through the manufacturing process, they have to pass a pull test, meaning the nipple of the pacifier has to pass a test where so many, you know, so much pressure is, is put on the nipple and, you know, trying to pull it away from the base And they have to pass that test, meaning they have to, the the nipple of the pacifier cannot be pulled off or it won't break under a certain amount of pressure or weight from the pull of the machine. So when you cut the nipple of a pacifier, you're compromising its ability to not fall apart. You are creating a hole in it. And if the child were to bite on, the you know the edge where you have cut they might get a piece off and and then the possibility of choking increases quite a bit so we never recommend cutting the pacifier nipple but because that method um can the idea behind it is effective right so dr delesio created a system of pacifiers where I think maybe there's six, I'm not sure, but each, it starts with a a regular pacifier that you give the child. And then after so many days, and she recommends within the product, it's recommended how, you know, how many days in between each change of pacifiers, but it's this um, gradual increase of the nipple of the pacifier getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So eventually by the last pacifier you give your child, they really have nothing to hold onto. And typically by then um, I read some reviews, most parents said their child had given up the pacifier before they even got to the last pacifier in the set. So again, it goes off that idea that if if there's nothing for the child to latch onto or if what they're latching onto on the pacifier nipple isn't as satisfying, then they're going to be more willing to give up that pacifier. But again, never ever ever recommend cutting the pacifier.
1: Well, and I'll tell you from a practical standpoint, um I will say a very old school and beloved pediatrician suggested to me snipping it with nail clippers um, which I know now is not safe and I would not recommend that but it also didn't work Um, and you know I always say there's some parts of parenting that you're going to knock out of the ballpark and there's some parts that you're going to struggle and pacifier weaning was a struggle for us as parents but it also didn't work because our child uh, was vocal for her age and screamed icky binky icky binky all night um
0: <laughs> cuz something was wrong with
1: it. <laughs> something was wrong with her binky and we needed to fix it. She knew that it didn't work, right? So it didn't work. Um and it is right. unsafe. So,
0: yeah, take that off your list. Parents just don't do it. Right, right. Don't do that. Um you know, sometimes parents will leave the pacifier for Santa Claus if if you believe in the Santa tradition or they'll leave the pacifier for the Easter bunny. And that very the binky fairy, right? Yeah. And and then, you know, overnight the pacifier is gone, but then there's something else to distract them, you know, whether it's a little gift or present or something um, left in return for them turning over that pacifier. I don't recommend some parents I know will say, you know, they try to convince their toddler, they're going to give their binkies to the new baby or to the new baby cousin. I feel like that, that can cause... Co- <laughs> cause a little bit of resentment, Um, you know, and, and then if it is a new baby in the house, then the baby's still going to have the pacifier. So the toddler's just going to be able to take the baby's pacifier. And back to that whole idea that the size of the pacifier doesn't matter. Your toddler's not going to care if it's a newborn size pacifier, it's still going to give them satisfaction of sucking. So, so I don't always recommend that one just because I can, I feel like it can be hard on the toddler, you know, or preschool or whatever age to give that away. Um, Some parents go cold turkey, which I think is fine. Just kind of, you know, muddling through getting through a few nights of maybe sleeplessness or crying and kind of getting over the hump. If you like you're you're ready for that and your child's ready for that go for it. Um, But you know, I think the biggest thing is is the parent has to be ready. The child yeah. may never be ready. Now, there certainly have been kids where I've heard they just give up the binky and that's wonderful, but I feel like they are few and far between. And it's more that the parent has to be ready and just kind of pull up their parenting panties and do it,
1: you know? Well, I would also say too, again, from a professional standpoint um, of paying attention to social emotional development and from a parenting standpoint where I feel like I did this wrong, if I could go back, I wish I would have had the guts or the strength, or I don't know what you want to call it to do it earlier, because I feel like we tried to do it around two. And by that point, their social emotional development was so much more mature that they were reasoning, you know, icky binky or sadness, the the emotions become there's a greater variety of emotions. The older your children yeah. get, and the and the way their social emotional system becomes more complex, so it's I feel like it's actually harder the longer you wait.
0: Yes, um, I agree
1: because they it's harder on the child and it's harder on the parent. And they were smart enough to say, "Take my pacifier, I'm done napping." And yeah. they when people will ask me, "When did your kids stop napping?" And the answer is, "When I took their pacifiers," and that was not healthy for them because they still needed a nap. Yeah. (laughs) But because they associated and there was nothing else that was going to take the place, the nap was gone. So in retrospect, I wish I would have done it earlier before they were so attached emotionally in a complex way, because I felt like they would have been better sleepers
0: in the long run. Yeah. And that's kind of just to back up my very first recommendation with the pacifier is to get it cut back to just nap and bedtime leave it in in or near the crib exactly Mm -hmm. and that's what I did too was we left the pacifier in the crib yeah we did That that was the only pacifiers we had out accessible to the child you know. That's yeah. the other thing. You got to get rid of all the other pacifiers and they're going to dig to the bottom of the toy box and find one. They're going to look under the couch and find one. So you really have to, again, if you're going to start weaning, you have to get all the pacifiers gathered up and put out of baby or toddler's reach, just limit to bed and nap um, that's an important point. and that can help. So, okay. So let's switch gears and talk about the bottle weaning from the bottle. That can be tricky. If it's a kid that's only drank, you know, the majority of liquids through the bottle, Um, If you haven't taken that bottle away by 12 months, if you haven't transitioned over to straw or open cup, it can be difficult too. So some suggestions, Melody Potok um, from My Munch Bug, she is big in the field of speech language pathology and feeding therapy. And she had some recommendations on her social media that I really like that I passed on to families. She says one thing. Well, she recommends a few things. Um, if baby's getting a bottle at several times a day, she's, you know, recommends slowly cutting one bottle out, um, you know, every few days to kind of get the number of bottles down and then. Um, if your baby has that really strong association and preference to drink m- on, drink milk only from the bottle, she recommends at mealtimes giving two identical cups that they can't see through, one with milk and one with water. So then eventually the baby has to figure out which one has the milk and, or the water, and oh, so like that can that. kind of slowly introduce milk in another container, another type of cup, so that can help.
1: Like um, she that. also,
0: I don't know if it was Melanie Potok or, um, my colleague, Kelly Benson vote that recommends, um, they have to sit to drink their bottle. Don't let them just graze on the bottle, have access to the bottle all day long, make them sit. So it, it feels more like a meal, you know, if you're going to drink yeah. your bottle, you have to sit in your special chair. You have to sit in your high chair. It's a meal, right? So that kind of, um, starts limiting. If you limit their access to it, that can help to start wean from the bottle too, Helpful. but but yeah, my, again, my number one recommendation is just introducing the straw in the open cup as soon as possible to get that established. Yeah. So that the bottle isn't the so, only thing can come from.
1: My final question for you, since we're talking about weaning from the bottle and going to cups is I know I had this stage in my house for a long time where we had a drawer full of a gazillion different kinds of cups. And I, I see this at families' houses when I'm doing early intervention visits, half the counter's filled with drying sippy cups and parents have tried so many cups. And I know sometimes you just have to try and see what works best for your child, but are there any specific cups on the market that you prefer that you recommend?
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's, I mean, again, I don't have an infant or toddler in my house right now, so I'm not as familiar with specific brand names, but I can tell you what to look for in cups that would make them most appropriate for toddlers and infants. So any type of open cup is, is going to be appropriate as long as it's toddler sized, um, or small infant size. So smaller, um, handles on the side sometimes makes it a little easier for little hands to grip that open cup Even more importantly, you want to make sure when you're giving your child an open cup, they are um, supported in their high chair, meaning their feet, there's a a place for their feet to rest. Their feet aren't just dangling because when their feet are dangling, they don't have that stability in their trunk. And then they're not going to have the stability in their arms to be able to lift that cup and then balance it up to their mouth. So stability in the high chair um, is, is number one. And then again, just any small plastic, sometimes um, harder plastic cups are just a little easier to hold. Handles are nice. And with your guidance, right? Recommendations for beginning might be to fill that cup almost full. And I know that's, That's scary to some parents because they don't want to mess, but if it's water, it's going to be okay. And you got to let the baby try, but with some guidance, um, if the, the reason why we recommend you fill the cup almost full is because it requires less tilting of the cup up to the baby's mouth. If you only put a little bit of water in the very bottom of the cup, then they really have to tilt and lift that cup. Yeah. All the way up to get that liquid out into their mouth. And then that sometimes causes more spilling or it's a little bit trickier for them. So we recommend starting. Well, with that.
1: And I would also say from a motor standpoint with balance reactions, a child is able to like catch themselves, um, forward first sideways, second and backwards last. And one of the hardest challenges for children who are learning how to sit is to sit with their head tipped fully back and not fall backwards before they're ready to efficiently catch themselves. So a fuller cup where they didn't have to tip their head back so much would not challenge their, their balance or their postural muscles as much. And sometimes when you're learning a new skill, you need to just work on the one thing. So work on the, the, the drinking part and the cup part and bringing it to your mouth versus also having to work to keep your balance and not lose your balance backwards. So, um, you know, supporting them, like you said, well in the high chair and not having to worry about that full head tip to start so that they're not challenging two systems at once.
0: Right. And two resting the elbows on the tray of the high chair is good for stability too. Then they have a little more stability through their wrists and hands to get that cup up. But, you know, in the very beginning, especially if you're going to introduce that open cup around six months, like we, we recommend and say you can, the caregiver, the parent is going to be providing a lot of support. And, and we say, go ahead and just give them that open cup at every meal with some water in it or milk or whatever and just see how it goes. And that practice is what's gonna help them become um, efficient with that open cup drinking. Uh, With straws, the big thing with straws is we want, we don't want the straw to be too long because if the straw is really long, we find that sometimes the baby or the toddler will just wrap their tongue kind of underneath around the straw and almost suckle the liquid out of the straw like they do through the um, bottle or the hard sippy cup. So we don't. We want the straw to be shorter. Um, that way, the recommendation is the straw just, just. Um, kind of once it's inside their mouth, it just goes past their lips. And then that requires their tongue to retract, to pull that liquid out of that straw, which is the motion that we're looking for. Um, And again, that tongue tip elevation. So a shorter straw is better. A smaller diameter straw is better, not a real thick straw, because then they can pull too much liquid and and possibly kind of choke. And um, then that, you know, might develop an unpleasant association with straw drinking, which we don't want. Again, Melanie Potok on her website, if you hop over there, she has a free handout you can download that has kind of step-by-step how to teach your infant how to drink from a straw. And she, it was funny, I, I looked over it the other day and it's exactly what I did with my kids and probably most of us do, where you kind of dip the straw into your drink and put your index finger on top to hold a little bit of liquid and then put it in baby's mouth. So baby starts to realize, oh, I get liquid, I get, you know, I get a drink from the straw. And she recommends you do that with purees first, like baby food consistency oh. um, with babies as young as, I'm not sure if she said six months, I'm not sure the age she recommended, but anyway, um, so yeah, you can check that out. She kind of goes through step-by-step step how to kind of introduce that straw and, and help baby understand that again, they can, you know, draw liquid. Yeah, from I've, the had a,
1: I've had a lot of parents be shocked that they're out somewhere and their baby was thirsty and the baby happened. They're like, oh They, I had my water bottle with a straw, like my sports water bottle, and they, they just drank from it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My speech therapy friends will tell you that's possible very early on. So that's sometimes how naturally they're like, oh, well then I'll get them their own cup with the straw. Right.
0: But they hadn't even thought to try it until then, you know, so out of, out of just a a, a need at the moment. Yeah. And there's lots of straw cups on the market. And there's straw cups that have valves and the valves make them a little um less leak proof or will claim that they're leak proof. So parents, you know, will like that. The valves, I the only thing with the valves that I see is that it requires a little more strength to draw the liquid out. Um so if you have a, a you know, a younger baby, um, they might need a little more practice with a regular straw before they're ready for that valve. Um, but yeah, let's be fine.
1: real, the more valves the more you have to take that cup apart to make sure mold doesn't build up. That's just the practical side of it. Yes, you have a cup with valves and all those things inside, when you're cleaning, you've really got to take it apart. So that's another benefit of just an open cup is that you don't have to clean it so meticulously.
0: Yes. And just an interesting fact, I don't know why this just came to me, but the sippy cup was invented by a dad, I believe in the 70s or early 80s, that wanted a cup that didn't spill. He was tired of cleaning up spills from his kids with cups. So he invented the sippy cup that had this, you know, lid on it that was a little less, you know, leaked a little bit less, maybe leak proof. But then out of convenience, you know, we're on the run so much way more than our parents were decades ago and our grandparents even more so. So out of convenience, we've kind of just adapted and and included these sippy cups as a milestone in our baby's development when when they're actually not. But you know, I'm happy to see again straw cups on the market now that are are leak proof. Also, straw cups that have a lid to to protect the straw from getting dirty or you know anything like that. So, those are good options. And um, again, I just if you're going to use the sippy cup, that's okay. But I would just recommend using it sparingly and introducing that straw and open cup as much as early as you can with baby.
1: Wonderful. This has all been so helpful. Thank you for sharing with us. Yes. Um, I'm gonna send it to all the expecting parents I know. And, <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, any new parents I know. If you are a therapist and you've enjoyed our podcast, one of the reasons why we do this is so that we have another means of sharing education with parents that we are fortunate to work with. And we give you full permission to do the same. So If this information um, as a therapist would be helpful for a family you work with, by all means, feel free to share it with them. Um, If you are a new listener and you haven't followed our podcast, um, please do that. We appreciate the follows and the shares. It certainly helps our visibility with new listeners. So we appreciate your support and your your tuning in um, for sure. As always, um, milestonesandmiracles.com is available for you with plenty of free resources for um, parents and professionals and access um, to the podcast, continuing education courses. And as always, one, two, three, just play with me, which is our therapist and mom design card set to help identify each unique milestone and pair that with purposeful play activity. So check that out if you haven't yet. Thanks again for joining us. We will continue with this podcast series um, in upcoming weeks. So if you enjoyed this, look for the next one. And
0: one more thing, Nicole, in preparation for this podcast, I went to Walmart and Target today and bought a bunch of sippy cups because I'm going to put, um, a little video together on Instagram, on our stories or IGTV, I'm not sure, just kind of walking through the features of the different sippy cups, the different straw cups, um, open cup options. And then I will say that to our, our story highlights on our Instagram account at milestones, miracles again. And then also we're going to have a free handout with this that goes along with this discussion that we had today with this podcast. So uh, make sure you find that on our social media accounts, either Facebook or Instagram, or visit the website. You'll find our free downloads on our website there too, so you can access them there. But I just wanted to make sure the audience knew that those two resources would be out there. Again, just for themselves, for informational purposes, but also to share with families, I feel like I get questions about pacifiers and sippy cups all the time. So I am going to be thankful to have something now that I can just send over to families to. Yeah,
1: I will too. I'm not, it's not my expertise. So this is all helpful information. um, Certainly. So thank you. Thanks again for joining us. We are grateful
0: for you as listeners and we hope you take some time to play this week. Thanks for joining us for another episode of more than child's play podcast. Please follow us on Facebook Find us on Instagram at Milestones Miracles and on Twitter at Milestones M.